Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. Our scripture reading tonight comes from Joshua chapter 14. If you'll turn in your Bibles there. Last week we looked at several chapters here in the middle portion of this book of Joshua. And I want to return to one selected portion from Joshua chapter 14 as we look at the life of Caleb tonight. We begin reading in Verse 6 of chapter 14. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, and Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in that day that Moses sent me. My strength is now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kinzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the Lord and the land had rested from war. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. I'm sure all of you have heroes, personal heroes, heroes of history, biblical heroes. I think all of us love Heroes. The latest Marvel movie, which is about superheroes, had the top grossing opening weekend of all times recently. Why? Because we are attracted to heroes. But what about them? Well, I think it's because we admire their characteristics, their courage, their strength, the things that they are called to endure. 
And they are models to us. People that we want to be and imitate our lives after. One of my personal heroes is an overshadowed figure in the Bible. And it is this man that we just read. Caleb. Caleb was a valiant warrior who stood strong in the midst of compromise and disbelief. He was not the ultimate leader of Israel, like Moses or then Joshua, but nevertheless, he was faithful. He was one of the 12 spies that went into the land of Canaan, and he brought back a report that indeed the land was great, just as God promised it would be. But unlike the rest, he saw the land ready to be taken. But because of the sins of the people, because of their disbelief, he had to wait for that dream to become a reality. But in the end, as we see from our passage tonight, he received his inheritance in triumphant fashion. And so tonight we will look at this passage from Joshua 14, as well as from Numbers 13 and 14. And as we begin, we read this about Caleb in Numbers 14, verse 24, which I think is a wonderful summary verse of the life of Caleb. It is an endorsement by the Lord himself when God says, but my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Notice that the Lord says three things about Caleb there. That he was a servant. In other words, he was a humble man. That he followed the Lord fully. In other words, he was obedient in all of his ways. And that he had a different spirit. I want us to spend our our time tonight looking at that last aspect. What is it that made Caleb have this different spirit in which the Lord speaks about? And as we examine Caleb's life, there are four main attributes that I believe made him different than the people of his day and even ours. And therefore he is a present-day model, a hero for us to look to and imitate in our faith. And the first attribute that we see of Caleb is that he had the courage to stand. Turn to Numbers chapter 13, if you would. And if you remember the context here in Numbers chapter 13, the Lord commanded 12 representatives, one from each tribe, to be chosen in order to go into the land to spy it out. Now, we're not sure how these specific 12 men were chosen, but no doubt they were a good representation of that tribe as a whole. It would perhaps be similar to an officer election for elders or for deacons. It's those that would have a good reputation, a good character. And it was these 12 that represented their entire tribe. And acted, in a sense, on their behalf. And so these 12 that were chosen were the best of the tribe, I think we can say. The very best young leaders. 
And so off they go to spy the land, and it was a successful reconnaissance mission. They saw the land. They saw the enemy. They saw the stronghold. And they saw the fruits of the land. And so back they come with the reports. And no doubt you can imagine that the people of Israel were eagerly waiting. They had this eager expectation of what this report would be. What is it that these spies are going to say about the land? Because remember, this was their life. This was their future. This was their inheritance. Well, we see here in Numbers chapter 13 that they come back and give the reports. And they first give the good. You see this in verse 27. It says, we came to the land which you sent us. And it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. In other words, it's amazing. Just as the Lord said it would be. And they showed the fruit. We read earlier in chapter 13 that they had giant clusters of grapes that would have to be carried between two men on a pole. And pomegranates and figs. It truly was a land that flows with milk and honey. It had an abundance, in other words. But then they go on. And they say, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very great. Notice the change. The land is good, but there's a problem. People are strong. The cities are fortified. And they are filled with people. They're filled with enemies. And in fact, they even go on to say who these enemies are, as it says there at the end of verse 28. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And really, they didn't have to say anything more. Because if you know anything about the Old Testament, that these Anak were those that came from the Nephilim, as they were called. That they were giants in the land. Now, we're not sure how tall they actually were, but we know that they struck fear in the hearts of their enemies because of their size. But the spies go on. They say in verse 29, the Amalekites dwell in the land. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. They essentially give the top ten list of rogue nations. In other words, the land is filled with the Worst of enemies. And this must have created quite a stir. Because the people are seemingly in a flutter. Panicking. Probably even weeping. Because we read here in verse 30 that Caleb had to quiet the people. In order for him to speak. In order for them to hear him speak. And Caleb was in the land. No doubt he had had discussion on the way back with the other spies. He knew the report that was going to be brought back. But I think it's before they could go on fully. I think Caleb here gives a preemptive strike. 
He tries to salvage the discussion before it gets off track. And he gives, in a sense, the minority reports. Because after hearing the negative, the strong people, the large fortified cities, the the anic, Caleb gives his speech. And Caleb's speech can be summed up in one word. So. Or so what? Look at what he says in in verse 30. Let us go up at once and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome. Notice what he says. He says, let us go up at once. Not, hey, you know, we, we probably could use a little more training. We could perhaps use a few more people. And probably in a few years, we will be good. No, he says, let's go now. And he goes on to say, for we are well able to overcome it. It's not iffy. It's not, this might be a struggle. This is, well, I'm I'm not sure. I hope so. No, Caleb says, let's go now. We are ready. This is truly courage in the face of opposition. And Caleb saw what the others saw. He wasn't blind. He wasn't ignorant. But again, Caleb had a different spirit. And in order to have a different spirit, you need to have different eyes. He had eyes of faith. He didn't look at the enemy. He didn't even look at Israel. No, he looked to God. The God who promised that he would give this land to them. That not only he promised it to Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness, but God promised this land to the Abraham and to the patriarchs. And that he was fulfilling this promise now. Caleb is saying, we are the very recipients of God's promise. Our people have languished in Egypt for 400 years and now we are here and we are not going to go into the land? You've got to be kidding me. This is God's promise. This is the promised land. This is our inheritance. That is courage. And that is optimism, not just because Caleb had an optimistic spirit. No, it's because his spirit was rooted in faith. As it says in Hebrews chapter 11, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Caleb had the eyes of faith. He saw that which was unseen, whereas everybody else just looked at what was seen and therefore had fear. But Caleb saw that which was greater than the worst of enemies. He had the assurance. He had the hope, as we heard even this morning. Not a hope so, but a hope in God. A conviction in the things not seen. A hope in the promises of God. And so let me ask you tonight, before we move on, do you have a spirit like Caleb? In the face of opposition, struggle, temptations, are you able to be firm? Not firm in yourself, not firm in your circumstances, but firm in the promises of God. Because so often we fear and we make man big or our circumstances big. 
And as a result, we make God small. And again, that's what the ten spies did, did they not? These people are of great height, and they even go on to say, we are but grasshoppers in their sight. But Caleb believed the opposite. He believed in a big God. And therefore, man was small. Even the giants of the land were as nothing to Caleb. And that's the first part of the spiritual battle, is it not? Who do we believe in? Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 talks about this spiritual fight that we are to be engaged in. And he talks about the spiritual armor that we are to put on. But before he even goes into that, he says this, that we are to be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. That is truly where Caleb got his vigor, his strength, and his might. It came from the Lord. And the power of his might. And the same is true with us. It's so easy to look at the world. To look at culture. And think, oh, it's such a scary world out there. We need to hunker down. We need to be afraid. No, Jesus said that his kingdom will ultimately prevail. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The victory is already won in Christ. And we are the recipients of that victory. And therefore, we can take great hope and we can also take courage no matter what comes. And so Caleb had the courage to stand. Second, he had the passion to plead. You know the rest of the story here. In Numbers 13 and 14, Caleb, Joshua, and Moses are not able to carry the day. The ten spies convince the rest that it's not good to go into the land. It's not a good idea. In fact, they begin to do what all naysayers do. They begin to weep. And along with them, the rest of the people. And they cried. And they grumbled against Moses and against Aaron. And they complained about their leadership and bringing them to this point only to die here. And they say, oh, we could have died in the land of Egypt. Why did you bring us out here to to just die? And so they come up with a brilliant plan. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Back to Egypt. Again, our... You kidding me? That was the place where you were enslaved. That's the place where you cried out under your oppression, under the burden and the weight that Pharaoh had placed upon you. But notice not so much their foolishness, but notice what godly leaders do when the people of God are entering into bad decisions, even sinful decisions. Do they throw in the towel? No, it says that they fell on their face and they pleaded with the people. Notice verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron, no doubt Caleb with him, fell on their face before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to the congregation, 
the land which we pass through to spy is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us as a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Notice that these leaders cry out, not only to God, but to the people, and they tear their clothes, and they plead with them. A passionate plead. Do not go down this path of wickedness and certain doom. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord is with us. He will not allow us to be defeated if we trust in Him, if we believe in Him. And so Caleb and the rest will not idly sit by. They had the humility and the passion to fall on their faces before the people. It's interesting in Ezekiel chapter 34, the charge from God against the shepherds of Israel, against their leaders, is not primarily because of their wickedness, but because of their indifference and their idleness. Idly sitting by while the sheep are scattered and devoured. Read of this in Ezekiel 34. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. A worthless shepherd sits idly by while the sheep are destroyed. Caleb and the rest were not worthless shepherds. And we need such leaders today. Because we might think that it was foolish for the Israelites to want to return to Egypt. And it was. But is it any less foolish when we returned to our sin? Is our sin any less oppressive, spiritually speaking, than going back into slavery in Egypt? Because the world, the flesh, and the devil, those are those that want to enslave us. They are no less cruel than Pharaoh was in Egypt. And so, let us not be tempted by our sinful desires. And yet, even though we might, and we are, the evil one seeks to devour us. And we need godly leaders. Warning, pleading for the people of God. Both in prayer and in, in earnest preaching and teaching. To say, do not go there. There's nothing good there. That they are willing and able to warn. And then also able to teach the, the right way, the right path. Return to the Lord in His ways. And so again, we see a wonderful characteristic of Caleb. He had the passion to plead. The humility 
to beg the people not to enter into such foolishness and such sin. Well, third, then we see Caleb had the patience to suffer. If the Lord did not intercede, the people would have stoned Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. We see that that was their very intention in verse 10 of Numbers 14. And as a result, because of their sin, because of their disobedience, the Lord forbids them for going into the promised land. But rather sends them out into the wilderness to die. And so for 40 years, they would have to wander in the wilderness until all those that were 20 and older died. In other words, that entire generation would have to pass away. That is, except for Joshua and Caleb. Because they trusted the Lord. Because they believed the Lord. They were able to enter into the promised land. Even though they were older than 20 years of age. Even though they were part of that generation. They were able to enter in and receive their inheritance. But even though Caleb was righteous. And even though the Lord rewards Caleb. His righteousness was not immediately rewarded. In other words, for 40 years, he too would have to suffer with the rest of the people of God. For 40 years, he would have to wait for his promised inheritance. For 40 years, he would have to watch an entire generation die around him. For 40 years, he too would have to languish. And yet... Caleb was willing. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says this of Moses. Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Notice that Moses chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And that was true of Caleb as well. For 40 years he suffered, endured difficulties, and had to do so with patience. Why? Why would he endure this? Why would he be so patient? Because he knew that the people of God, as sinful as they were, that with the people of God was the presence and the promise and the pleasures of God. And that that was found nowhere else on this side of heaven. And that is still true of God's people today. The church, as you know, very well know, is not a perfect institution. At least the earthly church. This church is not a perfect church. But yet we are the family of God. And just like your own family, sometimes there are difficult people and squabbles and disagreements. And yet, are we going to say in the midst of those difficult people and amidst those differences, are we going to say, well, I'm going to go find a different church. I'm going to go find a church where everybody likes me and I like them. To do so, You might be a church of one, which is no church at all. Or 
we might be tempted to say, well, I want a church that is easy. I want a church where I can just kind of come and go and maybe wave at a few people while I'm here. But I don't really want to get to know people. I don't really want to be burdened by others. So many people have troubles these days. And I don't want to be troubled by them. Now Galatians 6 verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The Christian life is not guaranteed to be simple, carefree, pain-free living. In fact, it's when we become a Christian that the difficulties really begin. Because it's then that we come in conflict with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we can't do it alone. We're not supposed to do it alone. We are to do it together as the people of God. Bearing one another's burdens. Gaining strength through the fellowship and through the communion and the prayers together. Through the week in and week out preaching and teaching of God's word. That's why we so desperately need the church. We so desperately need the people of God. And let me just tell you, you'll find no better church than this one. Not to say that there aren't other good churches out there. But this is the church that the Lord has called you to. To those that are right around you. That you may help and support and love. And they would do the same for you. It's far better to bear patiently the afflictions of the cross on the path to paradise than just to have smooth sailing to the pit of damnation. And so like Caleb, may we be willing to bear the name of Christ, bear even through suffering and difficulties, bear through the afflictions of one another to bear one another's burdens as the scripture calls us to, and so fulfill the law of Christ, so fulfill the love of Christ to those that are around you. There is no greater place where you will receive the presence, the promise, and the pleasures of God than here with the people of God as a part of his church. Well, fourth, then, we have the faithfulness to persevere. And I think this is perhaps the the most amazing characteristic of Caleb. One of the things that has stuck out the most to me. And we read of it in Joshua chapter 14. And we might think that after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, perhaps Caleb has gotten old and grumpy. Perhaps he's a little bitter. Because he had to miss out on enjoying his inheritance for 40 years. And maybe that has even affected the way how he views the Lord. Perhaps he has become hardened in his heart. Perhaps he is even angry at God. No, we see just the opposite. After being in the wilderness 40 years, 
and then for several years helping the tribes capture their land. We read here in Joshua 14 that Caleb comes to Joshua at the ripe age of 85 years old. And in verses 7 through 9, he repeats the history. He says to Joshua, you know what the Lord said. And then he goes to recount all that has taken place. And you might ask, well, why did Caleb do this? Joshua already knew that. He was there, remember? He was a part of that same promise, that same word that was given to Caleb. Well, I believe Caleb rehearses this history, rehearses the past. Because he is recounting the promises and the faithfulness of the Lord. He is recounting that which he held on to for 45 years. Those promises were what allowed him to endure. That gave him the patience. That gave him the courage even 45 years before to stand up for the Lord. And those are the same promises that... He held on to. And so we go on to read in verses 10 and 11. That the Lord has kept him alive. And Caleb gives a testimony that he has the strength of a man half his age. At 85, Caleb says that I still have the strength, the vigor, the courage, the willingness to fight. As I did when the Lord was about to send us in 45 years before. That's quite an amazing statement, is it not? I'm sure those of you that are older can testify that it doesn't get easier when it comes to strength and stamina, does it? And yet Caleb can say, I'm still the man that I was when I was half my age. But he goes on. And Caleb asks for his promise, asks for his land, for his inheritance. But notice this, he doesn't just ask for any land. Read with me in verse 12. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Notice that. He says, I want the hill country. I want the fortified cities. Specifically, I want the land where the Anakim live. Those were the exact reasons for not going in the land 40 years before. That is the exact reasons the ten spies said, we can't do this. Caleb says, no, this is the very reason why I can do this. This is the very land that I want. Caleb says, this is what I want to take on. Why is that? Was it because Caleb was so great? No, he gives the reason why. They are at the end of verse 12. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Notice that. The Lord is with me. The Lord will drive them out. That is exactly the same thing he said at Kadesh 
all those years ago. In other words, Caleb never wavered. At 85, he was faithful and his trust was still in the Lord. He was still willing to engage the fight, the battle. He had not given up or given in. And this is exactly what he does. In fact, we read at the very end in a parenthetical statement that after he defeats the land, he renames it Hebron because it was formerly Kiriath Arba. And there in the parentheses we read, Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. That Caleb not only just took down the Anakim, he took down the greatest of the Anakim. The number one enemy. And he did so in the strength of the Lord. I hope, and it is my prayer, that this would be true of you and me. Not that we'd go out and and do great, mighty battle, but that we would be less concerned about our greatness and more concerned for our faithfulness. That we would be faithful to the very ends. That is a godly desire. That should be something that you long for. That as long as the Lord would give you breath, as many days as he would give you on this side of heaven, that you would be faithful to the Lord. That you would persevere to the ends. We see that this was the Apostles Paul's hope and prayer. In 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he says, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Notice he says, that is my worst fear. I do not want to be disqualified. That I would give the hope of heaven to others and therefore somehow, some way, be disqualified of it for myself. And then he goes on to say in 2 Timothy 4, which we know is the last epistle, the very last letter that he wrote. He says that I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Notice that's what was important to him. Fighting a good fight. But even more so, finishing the race and keeping the faith. And it's truly not how you begin the race, is it? But how you finish. It's not how you sprout and show such abundance. But it's how you flourish to the very end. Our prayer should be that we would finish faithfully to the Lord, not wavering or stumbling, but looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. As I said at the very beginning, we love heroes. Caleb is a hero in my book, a wonderful model. But it's ultimately not Caleb that we look to, do we? We look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have all the characteristics of Caleb. In so much more. Christ courageously left the glories of heaven to come to earth, to be born a man, to passionately plead and weep for his fellow countrymen, those that had been hardened in hearts and that had gone astray. He endured the sufferings of his people, even the shame of the cross, and yet he was faithful to the very end. Not only the end of his life, but He is faithful to bring all things together in him. Bringing all things together to its full and final completion. And so Caleb 
can be an object, a model of our admiration. But it's only Christ that is the object of our faith and our worship. And so may we too be found to have a different spirit. Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of Caleb. As Caleb had the spirit of Christ indwelling him. May it indwell us too. Until he comes again. May he find us truly faithful. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for this word this night. This model of faith. And Lord, through that abundant faith, Lord, we see all the wonderful characteristics in the life of Caleb. And Lord, we pray that we would look to the same Lord Jesus Christ as he looked to by faith. Even though he did not know the name of Christ, he knew that his Savior reigned. And as a result, he was able to inherit the promised land. And Lord, one day, because of what Christ has done for us, and by faith, we too shall be able to inherit the promised land. Not just the land in the Middle East, but the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, we pray that you would keep our longing, our desire, and our eyes upon that. And that, Lord, as long as you tarry or until we go to be with you, that we may be truly faithful to the end. We pray in Christ Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.